Hare Krishna, welcome to our Bhagavatam class, Sunday morning, uh, January 12, 2020. And I'm still at the home of Sarvatma and Divyananda. Mm-hmm. So, um, we'll begin. <clears throat> Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So, we begin today, and we begin chapter 5 of the first canto, verse 1. Sutta vacha atatang sukamasina Upasinam brihachava devarshi praha viprashin vinapani smayaniva. Sutta said, Atatang sukamasina upasinam brihachava. So <clears throat> it's very interesting here because in, in uh, two different cases, Narada and Vyasa are shown to be very similar, just by the way the words go, uh, because basically the subject of the sentence is Devarshi, Narada Muni, Devarshi, the sage of the Devarishi, the sage of the gods, Vina Pani, with the Vina in his hand, Pani means hand, so Vina Pani means with the Vina in his hands, Smayaniva, and smayaniva could mean that he was sort of laughing or smiling. Smayan means smiling. That's where we get the English word smile. So smayan, smiling, and eva, as if or sort of, sort of smiling. So it's uh, something. It's just a touch of irony here. He's sort of smiling, like, "What did you get yourself into?" So smayaniva, and. Nard is also described here as Brihat Shava. Brihat means great, like Brihat Radanga, and Shava, uh, hearing, like Shruti, it's from the same root, Shava. So Brihat Shava. So Shava, or Shruti, or Shava, in Sanskrit hearing, in a context like this, always refers to or is indicating the Vedas, Shruti. And so Brihat Shaval means that one whose hearing is great. In other words, one who is, has a great knowledge of the Vedas, Brihat Shaval. And Asina, so he's sitting there, and uh, Praha, he spoke to Vyastev. He, oh, I should mention, he's, it said Sukham. Sukham means happy, but here it's used as an adverb. Happily, never comfortably. In Sanskrit, that's how you say someone sitting comfortably. That uh, sukama asina, asina like asana, but asina means sitting. So, sitting comfortably, uh, he then spoke to uh, the viprarshi. So Narda is the devarshi, and he spoke to the viprarshi. So Narda is the sage of the gods, and uh, Vyas is a sage of learned Brahmins. So you see the parallelism where they're both rishis. Narda is the rishi of the gods. Vyas is the rishi of the learned sages. 
And Narda's Asina, he's sitting, and he spoke to Vyasa, who is Upasina. Upa means near, who's sitting near him, sitting next to him. And so they're both sages, a Deva Rishi and a Vipra Rishi, and they're both sitting. So it's really just by the Sanskrit language, you're using the same words twice for both of them. It's indicating that it's an intimate meeting of people who, although one is the guru and one is the disciple, they're both very distinguished. They're both very important people, sages. So at the tongue, Sukhamasina Upasinam Brihachava, Devarshi Prahavi Prarshim Vina Panis Mayaniva. So that sets the scene for us. The first verse of this chapter, Prabhupada translates this. Sutta Goswami said, Thus the sage amongst the gods, Narada, comfortably seated and apparently smiling, Smayaniva, addressed the Rishi amongst the Brahmanas, Veda Vyasa. So now let's see what Narada said. Narada Vacha, Parasharya Mahabhaga, Bhavata Kachit Atmana Paritushati Sharira Atma Manasa Evava. So Narada said, Parasharya, addressing him, the son of Parashara Muni, Vyas, Vyas's father is Parashara, and of course his mother is Satyavati. So he addresses him, Parasharya, O son of Parashara, which is interesting because Vyasa has many names, of course, Vyasa, or uh, he's called Dwaipayana because he was born on an island in the Jamuna, and the word for island is Dwipa like Navadvipa, nine islands. So from the word Dwipa, Dwaipayana, he's also called Krishna because of his dark complexion. And uh, so Vyasa has many names. He's called Mahamuni. But here, Narda calls him Parasharya, reminding him that your father is one of the greatest Vedic sages. So, so it, it's indicating respect for him and also reminding him of his great lineage. So Nardu Vacha Parasharya Mahabhaga, he calls him Mahabhaga. Mahabhaga means one of great fortune or of great status. Uh, the word uh, like Bhagavan, Bhaga, well, I won't, there's a lot I could say about these words. They're from the same root. But the idea here is Bhaga means like a share, something you're like your allotment, what has been allotted to you, what is, what is your share in life. And so Mahabhaga means one who has a great share in life, one who's been given many blessings, uh, one who's, who's greatly endowed. And so Prabhupada translates it here, the greatly fortunate. So you, but you can see where that's coming from, greatly fortunate. So Parasharya Mahabhaga Bhavata Kachit Atmana Paritushati Sharira Atma Manaseva. So this is a very, you could say, uh, somewhat sort of, well, sarcastic question he's uh narda as you we will see is going to speak very heavily he's going to uh sort of take off the gloves here as they say and he's going to be very frank so he says uh so kachit the word kachit means it's a question it's an interrogatory you know is it a fact that or is it that bavatak of you and he uses the respectful form of you it's like in spanish uh, two means you uh, more familiar, but usted is more respectful. Or in German, you can say du or z, or in Italian, when anyway, tu or le. So in, in, in many languages, there's a respectful form of the word you. 
And so this is the respectful form of the word you in Sanskrit, so which is bhavan, like bhavan, bhavan. And here bhavatat, of you, kachit, is it, that uh, paritushati, that, that your soul, is your soul satisfied, paritushati. And paritushati means fully satisfied. Uh, I'm skipping a lot of grammar here, which I find interesting, but I'll get to the philosophy. So is, is your soul fully satisfied with, this sharida uh, atma with the bodily self. In other words, the soul is not the material body or the mind, but we take on a, we can identify with the body and we take on a bodily identity. So in that sense, Narada asks him, are you satisfied? Is your soul satisfied by identifying with the body? Manasa, or identifying with the mind, indeed. And so he's saying here that you wrote books, which sort of, uh, not that Vyasa wasn't teaching the bodily concept of life, but in the Mahabharata and the, and the Vedas, the goal is almost always some type of um, reward for the body or mind that you go to the higher planets, heaven, Indraloka, or um, you get all kinds of rewards. So Vyasa, he divided, categorized the, um, the Karmakanda Vedas. The Karmakanda Vedas, and in the Mahabharata, uh, there's this uh, emphasis on going to material heaven. And so... So Nard is asking him, you've done all these, this work, you've you arranged and composed literature, which really is, appeals to the material body and mind. So are you satisfied by that? Or actually another way this could be taken grammatically is, he could simply say, for you, Bhavatak, is the bodily self or the mental self, material mental self, which is literally what it says, manasa means mental and sharira means bodily, are, are the bodily and mental self, you know, are they, do they satisfy you? So anyway, that's, but that's what he's saying. And so obviously he's, uh, this is a very transparent hint that uh, something went wrong here. And then he tells them that now he, he's made the, the strong statement, but now he, you know, he wants to encourage them. He's not just, doesn't want to just uh, uh, criticize. So he says, Jigyasi tam sampanam apite mahadad bhutam. Actually, this is going to be a criticism. But he says, Kritavan. Uh, he said, Kritavan Bharatam, you literally made the Bharata, the Mahabharata. As I've often say, you, uh, said, you will not find anywhere uh, any reference in these literatures of Vyas writing. There's no evidence in any of these literatures that Vyas actually wrote. All the evidence is that 5,000 years ago, uh, Krishna came to an oral society in which things were composed and recited but not written. So typically this is the verb that's always used, the verb kri, to do or to make. So kritavan bharatam jastvam. 
You are the one, Yastwam. It is you who made the Bharata, the Mahabharata. And the Mahabharata is Jigyasitam, which is Prabhupada translates fully inquired. Jigyasa means desire to know. So Jigyasitam means like fully researched. It, it was it was uh, susampanam, and it's um, it sort of contains everything. It's it's full of everything, rich. It has everything in it. Jigyasitam susampanam apite maharadbutam, and it's he said it's it's a great wonder. It's in it, it, the composition. If you look at the Sanskrit, it's very brilliant because he says you made the Bharata, but then in the previous verse he says the Bharata is mahat. It's great, so he's really saying Mahabharata, but poetically. He said that you made a great wonder. You made a great wonder, which is the Bharata, and it, it, you were the one who did this, and it's Sarvartha Paribringitam. It is endowed with uh, Sarvartha, all meaning, all or, or Artha. Remember also Sarvartha, which means every Artha. Artha means a goal or a meaning. And it can also refer to the four purusharthas. There are four goals or arthas of human life, which are uh, dharmartha, kamamoksa, dharma, uh, to be pious, to be virtuous, to cultivate virtue, and then artha, which here means uh, specifically uh, economic development, you know, having enough money, uh, and then. Uh, Dharmartha, Kama, satisfying your senses, and Moksha, finally liberation. So Narada says, Sarvartha, but he bring me them. That it is endowed with or enriched with all the arthas. And he calls Mahabharata a great wonder, Mahadadbhutam. <clears throat> so, and Mahabharata was properly researched, and it's, it's it has everything. So, and yet, and yet, there's a problem. <clears throat> and then he says, not only that, but also jigyasitam. He re repeats the word jigyasitam. Also, you researched and studied jigyasitam aditam, which means also you researched and studied Brahma, uh, the absolute. But of course, that may mean the impersonal absolute. That which is, Jatat means that which is, Sanatanam, eternal. So you did all this Dharmartha Kama Moksha. You also researched and studied uh, Brahma, the impersonal Brahman, which is eternal. Tatapi, and even so, that's exactly literally what it means. Even so, nevertheless, Socha Syatmanam, you are lamenting for yourself. Prabhu. And he, he, it's very interesting because it shows that in the Vedic culture there was mutual respect between guru and disciple because here Narada the guru is speaking to Vyasa the disciple and yet he calls him Prabhu. So uh, he doesn't always call him Prabhu, so I hope my disciples don't get their hopes up too much. But, but here the word Prabhu is the uh, evocative form of the word Prabhu when you're addressing someone. When you're actually in Sanskrit, you if you were addressing someone and saying Prabhu, you would say Prabhu. So anyway, <clears throat> so he says, still you are lamenting for yourself, 
as if you were a kritarta, as if your purpose was not fulfilled. Artha means here your goal. It's very interesting because the fact that the word artha is being repeated here, sarvartha, he says, I mean, when, when the Sanskrit words are repeated in the same sentence or in the same little group of sentences, it's intentional. I mean, a point is being made. And so Narada told Vyasa, uh, you are lamenting. Uh, he said that um, you composed this great wonder. You made this great wonder, Mahavarata, which has Sarvarta, which has every Artha. It's enriched with, it's, it's endowed with every artha, every purpose or, or, or meaning, and yet you are lamenting as if your artha is not fulfilled. As if, so in other words, you put all the arthas in this book, but your personal artha, the artha of your life, the purpose of your life has not been fulfilled. And that's why you're lamenting your, for yourself. So jigyasitamadhitancha brahmajatat sanatanam Tatapi, even so, Shojasyatmanam, Akritarta Yiva Prabhu. This is very brilliant. These are very brilliant statements by Narada Muni. And then Vyasu Vacha. Now Vyasa is going to reply. So what is, you know, your guru suddenly flies in, literally. Uh, you know, with his Veena, your your spiritual master suddenly flies in and tells you all these things. And so, so what does Vyasa say? Vyasa Uvacha. Astieva me sarvamidam toyoktam. That's, first thing he says is that, yes, uh, everything that you said is actually true. Everything that you said is actually true. Astieva. It means it is indeed. It is indeed. Everything that you said is actually true indeed. Tatapi, nonetheless, even though everything you're saying is true about the good things you said about me, because Narada hasn't yet said what the problem is. He said, you made this great wonder, the Mahabharata. It has all meanings in it. And, uh, you know, you personally, uh, you know, you did all these things. And so Vyasa said, yeah, it, it's true. Everything you're saying is, is exactly true. Tatapi, nonetheless, as you said, not ma paritushate me. My soul is not satisfied. Interesting. He doesn't say I'm not. He says my soul is not satisfied, nonetheless. Tatapi, not ma paritushate me. Tanmulam avyaktam agada bodham prachamahi twatma bhavatma bhutam. So he says, uh, Prachamahe, I ask you who are Agadavodam, who have deep, almost like unfathomed understanding. Gada is a very interesting word. The word Gada means shallow in Sanskrit. And so it can refer to, let's say, if you're like you're standing in a stream with very shallow water, so you can just walk in it. And so Gada means shallow. And agada literally means not shallow. And so it means deep, profound, fathomless. So, and bodha, of course, like buddhi, just a synonym of buddhi. 
So he so he tells Nar, uh, Narada that you are agada bodham. You have fathomless or very deep understanding, uh, and therefore, uh, I ask you about the the cause of this. He says the root mula means the root, and so what is the root of this? Like what is the root cause of my depression? So I'm asking you about that. It's interesting. He doesn't, he doesn't want a superficial explanation. Not that Narda would give one, but he wants to know what is the root cause of this? What's really going wrong? So Tanmulam and this root cause, which is avyaktam, which is invisible. I can't see it. I can't perceive it. He says it's avyakta, but you have such deep understanding. So I'm asking you, and then he 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 glorifies Narda's Atma. Narda as Atma Bhavatma Bhutam, which in Sanskrit, I mean, it's very, it's very elegant language. Atma Bhava, uh, Prabhupada translates here as the self-born, which is obviously what it could mean, which would refer to Brahma, because Narda is a son of Brahma, and Brahma is Atma Bhava. And then he's saying that of Atma Bhava, of Brahma, you are the Atma Bhuta. You are the one uh, whose self came to be from the self-born, or from the from the that the or the one. To, to, so you understand how in Sanskrit they're using the same words over and over. Uh, you are the one who came to be from the self-become, and so it's it's uh, it's poetic. It's 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 brilliant Sanskrit. Pachami tatma bhavatma bhutam. And of course, but it can have other meanings. It has many meanings. Atma Bhuta means also one who is truly existing as a soul. Atma Bhuta, one who is existing not as the body, not doing business as a material body and mind, but one who really has come, who has come to exist or who exists as a pure soul. And Atma Bhava, uh, through the existence of the soul, one who has lived as a soul and therefore now exists as a pure soul. So all these meanings are there. It's a, uh, there's a lot there in the Sanskrit. So, so Vyasa Vacha Stieva me sarva me dang to yoktam, the tapi not ma paritushate me, then mulam of yatam, a god of odham, prachamahi tatma bhavatma bhutam. Prabhupada translates this three Vyasdev said, all you have said about me is perfectly correct. Despite all this, I'm not pacified. I therefore question you about the root cause of my dissatisfaction, for you are a man of unlimited knowledge due to your being the offspring of one, Brahma, who is self-born without mundane father and mother. So let me do one more verse. He's again glorifying Narada. Savai Bhavan Veda Samastaguhyam. So Savai Bhavan is a sort of a, a way of speaking in Sanskrit where you put together, literally means he indeed you. So he indeed you, of course, it doesn't sound like that at all in Sanskrit. Sanskrit means it is you who, or you are the very one who. So that's, I mean, that's how it sounds in Sanskrit. Savai Bhavan, indeed it is you. Upasito Jat Purushat Puranam. Savai uh, Bhavan Veda Samastag, indeed it is you who know all confidential things. 
Samasta Guhyam. Uh, samasta literally means put together, placed together as everything. So it is you who know every confidential, all confidential knowledge. Savai Bhavan Veda Samasta Guhyam Upasito Jat Purushat Purana, because the prime evil person was worshipped by you. And the word worshipped here, upasita or upasana, uh, is very interesting because uh, asita means, uh, uh, of course, uh, seated and upan or, or staying can also mean, because the Sanskrit word uh, asana or asina, which means sitting, uh, can also mean uh, staying like when you like either you sit or you go so if you sit it also means in sanskrit to stay so like in english if you say to keep on doing something or in spanish seguir haciendo uh in sanskrit the auxiliary verb is also anyway so upasita and so therefore upa means near i'm going to all the interesting grammar here but upa means near here and so therefore upasita means to stay near someone. So the word which means like upasana, worship, literally means to stay near somebody, to, to attend on them, to stay by them and just do everything that, you know, that's needed for them. And so upasita, staying near somebody, staying with them, attending them, that's a word for worship. And Prabhupada, so Upasito jat purusha purana. So the primeval Lord, the Purana Purusha, the primeval Lord was worshipped by you. Paravaresha, uh, that Lord who is, that Lord who is Paravaresha, uh, the Isha, the Lord of Para and Avara. Para means like the high and Avara means the opposite, the high and the low, the far and the near. The, uh, so it means everything the transcendental and the mundane. So para-avara, isha. So para-avara-esho, manasa-eva. So just by his mind, simply by manasa-eva, means simply by his mind, Vishwam, the whole universe, srijati, creates, avati, maintains, ati, literally consumes. Uh, actually, the word ati, can mean eats or just consumes. He just, you know, like swallows up the universe. This is the verb at, to eat or to consume. Ati, eats. And from that word, the passive participle, eaten, is anna. That's where you get the word anna, which does not literally mean rice in Sanskrit. Uh, although in Bengali, because rice is the main food, so it may indicate rice, but... Um, so it's, it's exactly like, grammatically, it's exactly like the Spanish word comida, which literally means that which is eaten. And so anna means that which is eaten, comida. So paravaresho manasaiva vishwam, so that Lord of the high and the low, of, of the spiritual and the mundane, uh, simply by his mind, manasaiva, just by his mind, he, and, and also the word srijati, which we translate create, literally means Soltar uh, means he releases it. He just lets he, he like releases the material energy because the material energy always exists. And um, in, in, so when there's not a material creation, it exists as pradana. And then when the Lord literally releases it, lets it go, 
just sends it forth. So that's the word srijati, which is usually translated create. Uh, Prabhupada translates here, creates. So srijati, avati, so he creates or releases. So it's like he releases the universes and he then maintains them and finally just withdraws them or just consumes them again or swallows them because they come back within his body. And so gunaira sangha, and he does not associate with the material modes. Or he does all this through the modes of nature, but asanga, he has no association with them. He has no contact with them. So, um, so it's very interesting. Nari, so Vyasa begins this verse saying that uh, uh, you indeed are the one. It is, it is indeed you who know um, every secret thing, all confidential knowledge, because you worship the primeval Lord who, and then, and then the next two verses glorify him, who is the Lord, the primeval person, who is the Lord of, of the high and the low, and who simply by his mind creates, maintains, and, and, and withdraws the universe with the modes and who has no direct association with them. So it's sort of a remote creation. So, uh, so maybe we'll stop there. Yes, question, uh, Nard, uh, Sarvatma has a question, so here, you can come. Actually, it's nice when people can see the devotee asking a question. Um, how did Narada, I mean, yesterday, compile or wrote down an enormous amount of work? And how did Narada pinpoint it? That he read the whole thing? He, how did he pinpoint the, the mistake? Okay. Interesting question. First of all, uh, as I said, there's no evidence that Vyas wrote anything or that anyone actually wrote anything 5,000 years ago. But um, as far as how he composed it, first of all, as far as the Vedas, um, Vyas just organized them because originally from the Bhagavatam, we can understand that there was just this massive, massive literature, which was Veda. And that's why sometimes it's referred to in the singular as Veda. But Vyasa saw that in this Veda, uh, there were four kinds of verses. First of all, there were just hymns, just glorifying the various devas and also the Supreme Lord Vishnu. So there were just hymns. And the Sanskrit word for hymn is rig, a rig. So he took all the hymns and just put them in one book. This is the hymn book and called it the Rig Veda. And then he saw there were other verses, there are other statements in the Veda that uh, explain the meaning and the purpose of the, the, the sacrifice, because the Vedas basically are about sacrifice. So first he took all the hymns that you chant at the sacrifice and just put them in one book. And then he took all the instructions of you know, how you do the sacrifice, what it means, and what the goals are and everything. He took all those verses and put them in a different book. And the, the word in Sanskrit for those Vedic explanations, the Sanskrit word is uh, yajus. So that became the Yajurveda. Then there are, there are other 
verses in the original one big Veda, which describe uh, metrics, you know, how, because how to chant the verses, uh, melody and, and, and meter and everything. And you have to get that exactly right. The, the, for example, in the sixth canto of the Bhagavatam, um, uh, Twashta was performing a Vedic sacrifice to get revenge on Indra, who killed his son, Visharupa, and he, he misplaced one accent because it, he wanted to create in the sacrifice Indra Shatru. Shatru means mortal enemy. He wanted to create the mortal enemy of Indra. But, you know, when you're chanting hundreds and thousands of verses, you can sometimes just miss one accent. And so instead of chanting Indra Shatru, the mortal enemy of Indra, he said Indra Shatru, which means Indra will be the mortal enemy of that person. In other words, Indra will kill that person. And so just because of one misplaced accent, it had the opposite result. So that's so all these verses that explain how to chant the Vedas, uh, those are called a, a verse which explains that it's called Isama. So that became the Sama Veda. And then he took sort of the Vedic voodoo, which is, you know, like if your neighbor is, you know, stole your cow, how you get back at him, you need to put a spell on him or something. And uh, so that became the Atarva Veda. And because that was seen by the Brahmins as kind of not quite the best thing to be chanting. So that's why you find a lot in Bhagavad Gita and Bhagavatam, they talk about the three Vedas. So for example, in chapter nine of the Gita, Krishna says, Trividya, some of those who study the, the knowledge, those who, those who have acquired knowledge of the three, Trividya, which are the three Vedas. So uh, that's what Vyasadeva did. As far as the Mahabharata, he composed it. And, uh, you know, how he did all that, well, first of all, he was a witness to a lot of it. It, it was no more in that sense. I mean, first of all, Vyasa is an avatar, and so he, you know, very high IQ. But apart from that, um, many scholars nowadays, for example, write a history of the 20th century or something like that. And so Vyasa, he knew everything. Not only did he personally witness everything, not only per personally take part in a lot of the stories. For example, he was the father of the Dhritarashtra, Pandu, and Vidura. And so, so he himself was a participant. He was, as they say, like a participant observer. He was observing it and participating in it. And whatever happened where he wasn't there, he knew about it instantly, both by his higher consciousness and also because he was constantly intact, in touch with people who, who knew about these. I mean, the whole world was talking about it. It's just like, for example, now, uh, there was almost a war between the United States and Iran. I mean, everyone knows about it. So these were world events. These were major world events. Everyone, you know, people know that uh, now it would be, uh, what, would, what would it be, 56 years ago that, you know, American President John Kennedy was assassinated. Everyone knows that. And so these are events that everyone knew about. So the fact that Vyastev knew these things, it's like, how could he not know these things? And also he came down to this world uh, specifically to do this. So if he's a Shakti Avesha avatar. Avesha means investing. So he was invested with Shakti, with power, 
specifically to do this, and therefore, I don't see any, no serious how, problem. How, how did yeah, as far as hard, as, as far as how how did Narda know, he's Narda Muni. And Vyasa explained how he knows that. He says, because you know everything. I mean, Narada Muni, he, uh, you know, he's traveling, but he, uh, he took part in a lot of the events of the Mahabharata. For example, it is Narada Muni who went to Kangsa and told him, you have a serious problem because the person that's going to kill you did in fact take birth on the earth. And so Narada Muni, if you read the Bhagavatam 10th Canto, Narada Muni appears there. And so he was watching everything. He was observing everything. And for Narada Muni to uh, not read, but to, you know, to hear, in fact, you know, to hear the sages reciting, because when, when, when Vyasa composed the Mahabharata, he, people started reciting it. Vyasa's student, famous student, Vaishampayana, is the main reciter of the Mahabharata and the text we have today. And so Narda's, you know, he's coming, he's coming, arriving and leaving, coming in and out. He's watching everything happen. So not a biggie, as they say. It's, 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 it's not a big problem. And he knows the Vedas, Narda Muni, and Narda Muni knows the Vedas. And Vyasa simply organized them. Put, he just, you know, took all this material and put it in four books categorically. So, did that answer your question? No. All right. And we'll go ahead and, and process your credit card. So, let me see if there are any other questions. Uh, what are the symptoms of one having good or ideal association? You become good or ideal association. Well, what does it mean when you say primeval? Well, let's go to the dictionary. That's why God gave us dictionaries. Of or resembling the earliest ages in the history of the world. Uh, let's see. Thank you all for your kind remarks. Uh, I'm not going to read them as much as I enjoy seeing them. So, um... I guess those are all the questions. So uh, thank you all for listening. And hopefully we'll all be alive next week and we'll see you next Sunday.